Hey everyone, yesterday we had the privilege of having Pete Friesen come in and speak to our interns and staff. Pete was the head strength and conditioning coach and athletic trainer for the Carolina Hurricanes for 21 years. Pete is a legend in the field and uh, definitely puts on quite a show when he's uh, presenting. Um, very fun to watch, very engaging, uh, very exciting stuff. So. Uh, the audio for this is probably not the best way to um, get this information. There was a lot of visual stuff going on, a lot of, um, we had some interns volunteering for him to do some stretches on them. Um, so a lot, a lot of hands-on stuff that, uh, that you won't be able to get over audio. It'll probably be a lot like listening to the Howard Stern show on the radio. So uh, I do urge you to go to our Facebook. Um, if you go to facebook.com slash athletic lab, we have the video up. We had uh, filmed it live or live streamed it uh, while it was going on. So it's up there now. You can definitely go check that out. Uh, get the visuals. It's it's uh, definitely an awesome, awesome presentation to see. Uh, if you can't, I'm sure there are definitely some, some nuggets um, on the audio that you'll definitely get some takeaways from. So um, let us know what you think. Share it if you like it. What's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in to the Athletic Lab Audio Inventory. Hi, guys. Uh, welcome. We're bringing together a couple different groups here in terms of inter in cohorts and uh, staff members. Some of you guys already know Pete Friesen. Uh, he's somewhat of a regular face around here. Uh, kind of a, a little bit of a legend in the field. He was the Carolina Hurricanes athletic trainer and SNC coach for 21 years, so a ton of institutional knowledge. Uh, one of the few guys in the field that I think blends both the uh, medical side and the performance side. Uh, the longer you get in this field, the more you'll see that there's sometimes people that work in little silos and it doesn't really work real well like that. Uh, Pete, uh, I believe, comes from more of the athletic trainer side, but is very well versed with the uh, S&C stuff as well. You probably saw him uh, earlier this year when we had him Greer doing his kind of combine prep, prep work in here. He was very much hands-on with that and kind of watching and observing and learning as well. Um, so I'm gonna hand over to Pete. I told him this is totally informal here. The way we run this, Pete, is very seminar style. If you wanna take questions during the middle of it, go ahead and do that. If you wanna bounce all over the place, go ahead and do that. It's just free run, sharing of information. So I'll hand over to, uh, to Pete. Thank you for being here. Okay. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, it's uh, exciting uh, to be here and be honest with you. I, actually, just to expand on my background is that uh, this is now my 37th year of uh, being a strength and conditioning coach. And to be honest with you, I was first a strength and conditioning coach and I really loved it. And uh, then somebody told me uh, more knowledge is better than less knowledge. And so after getting my phys ed degree and my education degree, I went on and got uh, um, uh, graduate degree and a physical therapy degree and a doctorate degree in uh, uh, physical therapy and so uh, uh, when I before I started with the Hurricanes I was with them for 21 years but 
you know, 15 years prior to that, I was the head trainer and strength coach and uh, pretty much everything like that uh, for two major universities in Canada, the University of Saskatchewan and then over to the University of Alberta. And so there, we weren't as lucky as what we have now is that uh, we had one uh, full-time strength coach, we had one uh, full-time physical therapist, one time uh, massage therapist, but they were all one person and that was me. And so uh, that's what I did. And so we took care of about 800, or I did, 800 athletes a year. Uh, so, but if I didn't take care of them, nobody would, nobody would see them. So we just didn't have that system. They've evolved, but it's still not what the United States has in sports medicine by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, I, the reason why I told you that is I just don't want you to be locked into thinking, oh, this guy only knows hockey. Because I did, I have, when I was back in Canada, God bless, you know, nobody else was taking the job. So it wasn't like I was better than anybody else. Just nobody was interested. But I was the, the head therapist, the strength coach for, I think, six different national teams. And so that's almost impossible to do, uh, to be honest with you now. Like, you couldn't be like that. So... Uh, but I also plan for today's lecture is just really interactive. Like uh, I'm going to show you a couple things, tell you a little bit some interesting things that I see that are lacking in strength and conditioning or in, in a high performance or the medical model, and uh, you know just exchange thoughts. So if you think I'm saying something that might be controversial or I'm lying to you, please don't hesitate to say, "Hey, what do you mean by that?" or whatever uh, sort of thing. But the way I'd like to start off today, sort of a, an attention grabber, right? And I want to show you uh, a stretch that I think I invented. Now, the only way a guy my age invents anything, it's not an original thing, it's by accumulating ideas and putting them all together with a new idea, a new original idea. So I'd like to share that with you right now because what I think a lot of our, our performance and also pathology comes from the hip and especially the posterior capsule. But what I want to do is just show you this stretch to get your attention, okay? So would you mind coming up, please? Uh, this is a combination of a bunch of things put all together uh, in order to uh, create mobility in the hip. Now, uh, would you mind lying down? Yeah. Thought, would you head down at that? Would that be the best for them? Uh, so, uh, anyway, okay, now, uh, and can you just come up, he's got to trust me, uh, to be honest with you, do you? Yeah, I trust you. Okay, well listen, you got to come a little bit closer, okay, and so, and, and drop your head back, okay, well, thank you. Now, the reason why I want him this close, and sometimes I use my hands to give guidance, I need his torso touching my forearm over here. Yeah, there, that's close, he's getting closer to the edge, so we're developing a bond, a rapport sort of thing. But what I want him to do is, I want to be able to get underneath this greater trochanter, like that, underneath him, and just like that, that's the only, and you can't really see that the camera angle, can't really see it, but all I'm gonna do is mobilize this hip this way. But let me tell you something, why am I doing this? Is that we all, uh, in sports medicine right now, we all know how important the glutes are. Everybody and their dog is talking about glute bridges and frog glute bridges and uh, good more, any way to strengthen your glutes. But I think that if your posterior capsule is tight, you can tell those people to stretch all you want and they're still not gonna get strong glutes. And then, then that's gonna take away not only from their ability to move straight up, but also side to side. So what I think, what I'm just doing is, I'm gonna just, sort of test it out right now, okay? Are you, now you've got to kind of relax because I know you're, I'm not going to goose you or anything. No. Okay. So, so the, we're saying that's his internal rotation right there. Would you say I'm at the end range right there? Probably go a little more. Okay, well I can, but the only thing is I start to feel him pull up on the other side, so it's not a fair question for him, but you can see how he's starting to side bend. Uh, so I want that, I'm going to say, say that's it, okay? Everybody got an idea of how far that is? Okay, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you these different parts of this stretch to call it the pistol stretch. So unfortunately, 
you can't copyright a stretch or an exercise, you know what I mean? Otherwise, Shirley Sarman would be a multi-millionaire by now. But one of my pet projects, I, I like to collect exercises, you know what I mean? And uh, But I, you don't make any money of it. But anyways, if you use this exercise with any of your people, please just call it the pistol. That's all I ask, okay? So I'm going to come in here like a wrestler, okay? And a wrestler always wants chest to chest really close. I'm going to use this hand. It's like a magician. I'm going to come across like this and grab his greater trochanter. Okay, I got a good bear hug on him, right? And so now what I'm going to do is call the skin law. I'm going to turn him into internal rotation. Okay, you see how internal rotation? I'm going to come up underneath this greater trochanter, like this, there. And, and I don't know if you can visualize, but you see my elbows on my hip, like that. I'm, I'm, so I'm kept, kept all of these things. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to lunge away from him. I'm going to lunge away from him so I'm distracting the joint. You guys are getting excited about this now, aren't you? Now I'm going to ask him, hey, this is kind of just me doing all the work. I'd like you to help out. I'd like you to take that left arm and reach across your face. Yep, way up, up, reach across, reach, yep, up, above your head though. What am I doing? I'm taking his contralateral lat and he's pulling against me. So we're actually disengaging his hip even more. Are you reaching as high as you can? And also you can tell, if you can visualize this, his hip joint's coming back into my hand. You see that? That's all there is to it. Wasn't that fun? Yeah. Now, let's check it out. Holy moly! Now, if that doesn't raise the hairs on your forearm, I don't know what the hell does. Be honest with you. Isn't that exciting? Okay, let's give him a hand. Thank you very much. Good job. I should maybe do that one on the other side afterwards because you saw how much range of motion. Now, people often say, hey, wasn't that an eye catcher? What's the name of the stretch? Pistol. Yes, absolutely. You know, in ice hockey, uh, uh, the, the nickname Pistol is kind of unique. And so with the, where I'm from is, you know, that's my nickname, Pistol. But uh, I guess down here where they play basketball all the time, Pistol Pete is not a unique uh, nickname. But anyways, that's it. Hey, the reason why I was telling you that I used a lot of things in that stretch, didn't I? I used distraction. I used uh, mobilization. I used the uh, contralateral lat to mobilize it, all of those things. So I think it's an original idea. But let me just take a moment here. Who has seen that stretch before? Nobody? Okay, so we're still on. Because I was telling Mike, I, I think I presented that to about 800 people, you know, throughout the last two years where I was developing it. And uh, I always said, if you've seen it before, you gotta let me know because I think it's unique. I think that's, I'm the only guy that does that. But let me go back up a minute, okay? Oh, I should back up a bit more. But I, I wanna tell you a reason why I started thinking about the capsule so much is that in maybe about 15 years ago, or I forget, the, the, we, the orthopedic surgeons start to find that they could actually distract the hip in somewhat of an unfunctional or uh, stylish way. They put up a bolster right in your crotch and then they torque your leg away and then they could get a scope inside their hip, in, inside the athlete's hips. And then they started doing what's called cam pincher uh, lesion surgeries. It's very common where either the head of the femur gets enlarged or the socket gets enlarged and they get impingement, chronic impingement. So what the doctors would do is they'd open up the front of the capsule, put the scope in there, and then they would you know, saw it away or, or shave it off so it would fit better. We're familiar with that? Anyways, what happened is that they'd go in through the front of the capsule, front here, and uh, do that surgery, and then they'd sew the guy up and we'll see you later. You know what happened with that early evolution of the hip cam pincher lesion? Is that they found out that because the doctors didn't take the time 
maybe a little bit of money to put a stitch inside the capsule in, or to, to sew the front part of the capsule up, it inhibited the glutes from firing, which made a bugger for people trying to rehab them, but even worse for performance people to make sure that these guys got back to high performance activity. Now, a lot of athletes had to pay the price of not getting their front capsule, front hip capsule. There's actually a, I was gonna ask you, does anybody know what the iliocapsularis muscle is? The iliocapsularis muscle. Iliocapsularis. Well, to be honest, it's a capsule muscle for the, uh, the hip. And it just tightens up the hip. And so it's, that's where the muscle is located, is the front hip capsule. Point being is that when the surgeons didn't uh, sew up the front of the capsule, um, uh, what happened is it inhibited the glutes on the, on the opposite side, on the same side. Uh, and then they had all kinds of problems. And if you know any surgeons who do this, you can actually you know, talk to them about that and they'll agree. My point being is right now, what I think a lot of times these, these things are, we don't pay enough attention to the posterior capsule. So we know how to strengthen the muscles and stuff like that, but if we don't give the athlete the range of motion, he will never be able to strengthen that thing through the full range of motion. And that's why I think we should start thinking about the posterior capsule. Uh, quite a bit with stretching it, with prevention. Because I can tell you something, there's accommodation. By the end of the day, if you keep sitting around or walking around, you're not gonna maintain that uh, range of motion. So I always like to give a person a nice stretch for the posterior capsule after this to take it home, work on it, and then he will be able to maintain that internal uh, hip range of motion. Excuse me. Yep. Um, hey, am I talking too fast? Sometimes. Okay. I'm from Europe, that's oh, why so yeah, I'm trying to catch up. I'm trying to catch up. Sorry. But I, I have a, I have a question. You said that it, that it inhibits the glutes. Um, is it, what is the, what is the mechanism that the glute is inhibited? Because when the tissue, the tissue is, you have scar tissue in the front and then... Great question. Yeah. Who wants to answer that mechanism? one? He's talking, let me paraphrase that, okay, in American. Yeah. <laughs> He's saying why, by cutting the hole, or, or using the little aperture, not sewing up the, the entry point in the yeah. front, inhibits the glutes. Come on, who's gonna answer this? If, if it tightens up in the front, that does it. There you go. And it goes more, more, yeah. Yeah. more neural drive to that. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you got pain in here, if you got a, a lesion or a scar tissue here, that's going to inhibit the glutes from pulling that back because the body doesn't want to go into discomfort. And so by cut, it, and so by sewing that up gives you the hip stability, and therefore that muscle feels comfortable that it can take it through a range of motion again without it slipping forward. Okay. Even minimal amounts. Okay. Does that make sense to you? It makes. Okay. Thanks for listening. Actually. Maybe the only one here, but because oh, you had the only question. Anything else? Because I think that's kind of a, a unique stretch. What homework would you give them to do to me? Oh, that's a great point. Shoot, really good point. You know what? And I kind of feel embarrassed because uh, I don't have a towel here, uh, to be honest with you. But, um, oh. Oh, a towel. Oh. Okay, thank you. Hey, uh, what I, I think that it's really important. Short one or a uh, yeah, just a short Would you mind coming up here again, please? Yes. Like this? That's perfect. Oh my God, this is good. Hey, I'm a low tech guy. But what I want him to do is I want him to sort of stick his hip out this way, right? Kind of tightening up that capsule, right? And then, so, so if you could go into that position, uh, 
Right. Oh, no, stand away, please, uh, right here. And then what I want him to do is to uh, put the stand on this. Uh, uh, now, with your contralateral hand, grab that towel. Uh, no, that's empty. The other side. No, or just, just th this hand, grab here. Yep. Oh, now you're saying, oh, yeah, Pete. Yeah, I can see where that lat. Look at how beautiful his lat is here, huh? That's, get, that's getting involved. Hey, the only thing is what I really dislike is that when I'm looking at him from behind, it's not a pretty sight. But I, that's because his toes, are, it should be pointed like that. He should, even in this position here, be feeling, and I can, hey, I'm, I was going to tell you one other thing. I can feel some tightness here. But I, you know, in today's society, I should have asked first. Um, <laughs> is it, is it, you can feel, do you feel a little bit of tightness there? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. So actually, kind of point that. Oh, sorry. There. Kind of push back towards my my my. Yeah, put your bum towards my hand. Yeah, like that. Square it off. Now pull down with that. Yeah, grab a hold of that and pull yourself down. You know, choke up on it. So that's the my home stretch. Simple as that. But the point being is that now, if you can see that from behind, he's got nice square hips, his footster, and he's got tension through here. And if he doesn't, I want him to just actually kind of push it back. The, to bring his bum back this way towards me, yeah, like that. Do you feel it here? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm telling you, you gotta kinda play with the athlete, but we're getting the posterior capsule with this particular stretch. Very similar to, oh, you're saying, yeah, that's a hip hinge. You bet your butt it is. But if he has a really tight posterior capsule, he's gonna bend forward. He's not gonna push his bum back. As soon as he starts pushing that back, we've got success. I'm using the lat right now to encourage the disengagement of the uh, capsule as well, over the hip. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Does it make sense to you? Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. No problem. Hey, does that make sense? It does, Pete. Just a fine little uh, nuances, I think, sometimes helps. Uh, okay, and I think that's it okay. right now. Oh, hey, maybe, can you sit, are you taking notes? Hmm? No, I'm good. You want me to sit up here? Well, just, we're starting to develop a rapport. I got some other exercises <laughs> that I'd like to share with, with the group. But it won't be right away. Oh, okay. Okay, just, hey, uh, I want to, uh, no, that, that's my sort of, uh, just a, a icebreaker, I guess. You know, now you know my name, and you know the stretch that I think I've got. But you know, a lot of times it could be bullshit. That part, my name is for sure. But uh, uh, you know, last he to be honest with you, last week or the week was it last week I came out here? I gotta be honest. I, I come from Nightdale, uh, and I, how many people know where Nightdale is? It's about the, you know. 25, 30 minutes from here. I live by there, actually. Oh, so. do you? Oh, maybe we can yeah. meet someday. Uh, <laughs> can become friends. Uh, but um, Stretch I wanted to tell you, though, I, it's a, quite a while oh, drive and stuff like that. But the, i got to be honest, the only reason why I'm here today, to be honest with you, it's selfish. Because honestly, I respect the he he heck out of Mike. Yeah, I love the athletic labs. I think what they do right now is phenomenal. I think it's second to none. I, I don't travel like he does. But in, to my knowledge, in the triangle area, this is the best program that I think you can be involved in. So I think, you know. Uh, they always say that um, uh, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. And so I know I'm not the smartest guy in this room, so uh, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. And also, too, so that's one thing. So thank you very much. But and then the second thing is uh, I want to, you know, I, I like networking. I think I'm looking at the future of the business right now. And I got to be honest with you, at my age, I think there's more years behind me than in front of me, although you never know. Uh, but, uh, you know, I like to network. And so, you know, the thing is, hey, can I just give you, for those of you who care, my email is uh, Pete F 0808 at gmail.com. 
pfoyoy at gmail.com. And then also I, I have a little Twitter site too that I kind of, well, I like to put stuff on, mostly positive stuff, and that's uh, uh, pfoa at pfoa. That's my little Twitter account. But anyways, you know, I always like to sort of share ideas because I think that's, that's what makes it fascinating and stuff like that. So if you guys ever have a question, if I can help you out, uh, I'm more than happy to and uh, vice versa. And I think that's when you get a win-win situation is... Um, uh, you know, helping each other out, sort of thing, uh, sort of thing. But, uh, anyways, I, I uh, want to go on. You know, uh, I tell you something. Last week, when Michael talked about a good coach has a, a keen eye, and I, I, I think sometimes strength coaches take that for granted. And I, I think that it's more than a keen eye. Uh, you know, some guys have 2014, 2010 vision and stuff like that. That's a keen eye. I think what a, a good strength coach has not only a keen eye, but he knows what to look for, uh, to be honest with you. And that's really important. And I think the only way you get that is being around experts and also watching movement as much as possible because it just doesn't rub off on you because I've been around a lot and I've seen coaches that are terrible uh, and they, they teach the same things terribly over and over again. you got to be have an active keen eye and know what to look for. And I'd like to share with some of you the things that I look for when I'm uh, looking at an athlete. Hey, the other thing is, can I tell you the other thing? <laughs> you, know, you might not, keen eye, but I don't know if that's all encompassing, if that's what you meant. Or, but I think a good coach has to have it all. You have to have all senses working for you. Because do you know in my heart, and again, I've been doing this for a long time, do you know how I think the best way to test glute strength is, gluteal strength is? Now we were talking just the other day um, uh, about front, front side mechanics. How many physios or doctors know what front side mechanics are? I would say none. But the point being is that that's probably, you know, if you're going to look at it most, hey, would you mind doing this, demonstrating again, please? Okay, thanks, sorry about this. I got a towel for your head now. Can you lie on your stomach? Okay. So if we believe about front side mechanics, right? That the glutes are from firing, pulling the leg get back until the heel touches, right? I think that's the school of thought right now. Right, front side mechanics, glutes and ball. As soon as that heel hits, then it's not work. It's going into recovery. Just like, but the point being is that if you ask most people to test the glute strength, they say, okay, well, bend your knee up like this, lift up like that, hold it there, hold it there, and don't let it push you down. Well, is that functional? Is that front side mechanics? No. So I'm going to tell you something. One way that I think that you should test uh, glute strength, and I don't know how. Hey, do you mind if I touch your bum? That's fine. Okay, because you know, again, it's. Uh, proper, but I think that you have to use your sense of touch here. And this, honestly, I learned this from a guy named James Syriax back in, nine, hey, have you heard of him? Uh, I think so, yeah. Holy shit, well, that's good, that's dating show maybe. But James Syriax was an orthopod uh, from England. And anyways, uh, he, he was really good into cross friction and injecting joints. In, in the, well, I think it was 79, because maybe 80, 81 or 82 he died. But I took a course from him, and he, he called this the pushy-tushy test. Very scientific. But anyways, if you get a guy to climb up your, to, to, to tighten up your bum, this glute, tighten these glutes up. Tighten them up. Oh, yeah. oh, there we go. <laughs> hey, tighten them up. Are you shitting me? Come on. Tighten them up. Tighten them up. more glute activation. Hey, tie the glutes, man. Come on. There you go. Squat. Maybe the camera can pick this up, but if I'm pushing down on this, what I do is I look at the whites of my thumbs as I'm pushing down with the same side, and I can tell you right now, 
hey, I don't know if anybody else wants to try this. <laughs> but I told you, we got a rapport going, right? I knew that we're, we're going to be going out for dinner tonight. <laughs> hey, you didn't make you off first. Hey, hey, but can you... Just start with dinner. Yeah, we're starting a movie afterwards for sure. Hey, if, can I, would you mind watching, tell me, because I, hey, I'm going to tell you what I think is the strongest Maybe one, okay? go all together to explore. <laughs> no, hey, I'm going to see. Oh, did you listen? Yeah, I heard. Oh, shit. Okay, sorry. Hey, but when I, I, I'm not going to do this, but anyways, you're going to have to just believe me. Modesty prevents me from asking him to take his pants down so he could actually see this. But if I go like this and you tighten it up, I, actually, I can even see right now, this one is much bigger than this side, but also, too, I can sink my thumb yeah. into this. Oh, can you see oh, yeah. that? Oh, shit. Well, the point being is I don't have to be a rocket scientist to tell you his left glute ain't firing like his, or his right one's not firing like his left one. His left one needs more work. to be. And God bless, I did the pistol on that side. I gave him a chance to do that. But the point being, and thank you very much. Hey, the point being is that that's one good way. It's not a scientific way, but I think it's better than getting the person to go in a totally e-functional, because I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, one of those, and you can, you can sit down, one of the ways to test real muscular strength still to this is cross-sectional area. Mm -hmm. you, like the bigger the muscle, the stronger it is, right? Correct. So if that's the case, the pushy-tushy test would prove that his left buttocks is stronger than his right buttocks, because it's bigger, correct? Intuitively. Unless he, when, if I did test him in that side and he tried a lot harder on the right side, then it might test stronger, but it's, that could be just psychologically. He wants to prove me wrong, which he, I wouldn't put it past him. But anyways, um, the, hey, going back, the, these are the senses that I think you need to know, to have, and to use. You know what I mean? It's the sense of touch, too. You know what I mean? To be honest with you, when I, back in the day, oh, okay. Why would you need a symmetry in the, in the first place at all? Full symmetry. Darn good question. Why do you need, well, one, you're always fighting for it, right? Because no, even the statue of David's not symmetrical. Like, you could be Jesus Christ and you're not going to be symmetrical. You're correct. But the point being is with today's athletes, they're getting more and more asymmetrical. One side's getting stronger and stronger, and then that starts to create. And so what you want to do is to, to if it's a significant asymmetry, which you're picking up in their faults, in their, their program, they're getting more rotation. They're not jumping as far on one side or so. That, I agree. But you can get that. You can look at it with palpation and just by observing that with your eye. You can, if you can see the difference by by your eye and by palpation, probably there is a problem. But I don't think that he has a problem, particularly because he he is probably a soccer player. So I assume that he has a one stronger glute because it was his stable light. I mean, I don't know how to express that in English. No, but you're, you're doing a good job. His, yeah. He's a kicking. Uh, his kicking leg is probably the right one, and he is more so he's stabilizing everything with his left glute. So therefore, he's using he's using left glute to stabilize more than his right glute, and that's why probably he has stronger left glute. Yep, and I totally agree. And that's so, normal. Yep, absolutely. So that's not an argumentative point. But why you'd want it? Can you tell me one reason why you'd want to find out an asymmetry? Can you tell me because then you know the topic well. Why? Yeah. Why what? Why you'd want to find out if there's a, an asymmetry through palpation, or uh, yeah, or to just to find out if there's a asymmetry in the body. A higher prevalence of injuries, of course. I mean, right. if there is a significant uh, symmetry between the limbs. Yeah. Oh, that's actually good. I never even thought of that because we talked about that the other day. Say if he was having a bad problem with his. Uh, uh, now let me see. It was his right hip, right? I said, "What if he was a left-handed thrower?" 
Overused. Yeah, he's not using his left hip as much. So that's one reason why I'd want to, it's sort of correlated. Well, where is that coming from? Is it coming from his thorax? Is it coming from his lumbar spine? Is it coming from his shoulder? Oh. But maybe it's because he's not using, not pushing that off. And that could be a myriad of reasons. Maybe he's, you know. You know Desangrity, I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, that, that's why I think that's important. One chain, I mean. Boom. Hold, yeah. Okay. yeah uh, hey, and honestly, there's a term called regional interdependence. Regional interdependence. Yeah. Oh, you've heard of it? Yeah, this, yeah. that's the separate yeah. model from the physics. Yep. I mean, if one, Boom. one, one, uh, I don't know how to say that. If you have, we have a lot of chains. One structure, a lot of chains. If one chain is broken, something else will suffer down there. Or yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So that's why I'm talking about this glute strength and making sure that you, yeah, you have a tip in there to, because the glutes are such a uh, involved muscle that yeah, strongest uh, muscle in the body. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, that's why I think it's important to, to know that little tidbit because I don't think scientifically with Cybex, KinCon, that type of isokinetic testing is as functional as this that I just showed I, you. I, I just have a problem with that kind of activation part because a lot of people are talking about the activation. It's inhibited and stuff. If, if our glutes were, in, uh, were not, I mean, if they're not working, we would not be able to stand on our two legs. Now we would be like chimps walking on the four right. limbs because they don't have activated glutes as much as we do because we do and that, therefore we can walk on two legs. Right. So it's not a problem about activation, it's about maybe, like you said, strength. It's not about activation. Yeah, God bless you. That's a great point what he just said. Because a lot of times what happens is that uh, the, uh, you, you go to a rehab guy and say, I gotta get your glutes activated. Well, to be honest with you, they can get them activated. But if they don't get them doing it in sports, like running with their hips high and not forward and stuff like that, you, you might well, they're going to go back to postural things. And that's why I think this is so important that you have sort of an understanding of the medical model and the performance model. Because if you don't pick out something that's not functioning or firing right, and then put it back into their activity, and I've got to be honest with you, I've spent literally hundreds of thousands of dollars with my athletes to find out they'll go and they'll get their glutes activated or whatever, they'll come back and they'll still have the same problem because they don't change their function. You know what I mean? You've got to change function and then with that it takes a lot of, motor learning is tough business. It, 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 yeah. it repetition and it's good repetition that you got those glutes firing again. But this just gives you a tool. You know what I mean? So I agree. I think that we're, we're on the same line yeah, there. Yeah, we uh, good. Hey, so the sense of, and oh, I was going to tell you one other thing that I, uh, when I was covering track and field, and you know, my claim to fame, uh, I, I was in uh, 88, prior to 88, maybe in 86 and stuff like that, I had the privilege, my biggest claim to fame with uh, track and field, I got to massage Ben Johnson's legs. Uh, uh, not a big deal, but boy, talking about, I still to this day, they were butter. Uh, to sink my fingers into his legs were just unbelievable. Also, too, I, I worked with this, and one of you said, you like to lift heavy weights. I had this one uh, colleague of mine, his name was Bishop Telegowitz. Bishop Telegowitz. Anyways, he was kind of a crazy guy, but was one of the strongest men in the world. Uh, you know what the strong men competition, but anyways, um, everything went downhill after Ben was proven uh, uh, positive with steroids, which was, you know, it is what it is sort of thing, but uh, I think everybody was doing it. It wasn't just because Canada won the gold medal, but anyways, uh, uh, I, I have worked with him, but I, I think the reason why I brought that up is I have worked with strong people too, not just, you know, athletic type guys like hockey players and stuff like that. We actually started using, uh, Bishop would, uh, would um, uh, we'd use muscle stim, and that's why he was my friend, because I ran the muscle stim at the school, and he'd come in and he'd cut off my uh, electrodes so there'd only be a small, small 
small pad that he placed on his quads or whatever, and then decreasing the surface size where the electricity would enter the body, and then he'd turn it up maximum, and he'd have isometric stuff. So we were actually doing electrical stim with strength development way back when sort of thing. But uh, anyways, I was involved in track and field. And one time I was asking this track coach, and I just wanted, this could be, you know, you might question this too, but I asked him, what about uh, overuse injuries? Like, how do you know it's too much sort of thing? And what he told me, and I think this is, you know, I told you, we talked about the eye, we talked about sensation, stuff like that, but also you're here. And what he says, you know, Pete, when I'm dealing with these elite athletes, he says, I listen to them. And so what happens, they, they didn't have catapult back then or, or, you know, all of the things that we have now. But also, too, I think that this is what you need to be as a good coach. Listen to your athletes because what happens, you know, if they come in and they're a sprinter and they're walking around like a plow horse, you might want to send them home. Because a lot of times, if you're really keen to that, there's stride length and stuff like that. That's what makes a great coach. Using all of your senses, is my, my end point being, is not only your eye, and that is, but your eye, I think, encompasses, it is the biggest visual area uh, in your uh, brain, it comes through your eye. You only process like between 15 and 20% of the stuff that you actually bring in visually. That's it. You don't, if you could visual, you don't process 100% of it, you'd be a freaking genius, but you can't. It's only about 15 to 20%. So anyway, those are the points I wanted to make to get started. It, uh, use all of your senses. Um, hey, any questions so far? You have one. You got one? Is there any way to do that? That's Stretch shows the pistol stretch without a partner, like if you don't have a partner, it's still a way to create the distraction no. and everything? No, except you know, just a home program stretch. That's the best way that I know to get the posterior capsule. So I guess what I'm saying to you, that's the way to do it, uh, to be honest with you, is a little bit of internal, so you add all of that sort of thing, but no. But I think this is on camera, the pistol, right? Mm. So if you want to go review, because honestly, it's that easy sort of thing. Again, I don't know how comfortable you feel like touching people and stuff like that. I know it's quite easy for us, you know, but basically this is only our second time we've met, you know, so. Hey, I, um, I have a question, I have a question for you both, because you were stressed. Do you felt, do you felt pain? No, not at all. That's interesting. No, why? Because I, I looked at his face and he was not, because if you stretch and it goes, I don't know, but maybe it has, has it to do because you are stretching a different tissue and oh. it's not, because uh, he, he was, the stretch was pretty intense, but he didn't, uh, how to say, the, the, you didn't saw pain in his face. No, that's an awesome question. I've never been asked that, to be honest yeah. with you. Where are you from? Uh, Germany. Oh, wow. What part of Germany? Portugal. Stuttgart. Stuttgart. <laughs> it's all Germany. <laughs> hey, does, does anybody have the answer to that question? You saw how much range of motion. Oh, maybe you guys don't believe me, but we did increase the range, didn't we? Yeah. Hey, but he wasn't under discomfort. Why? Well, one, I, I wouldn't put you in discomfort. I don't think a stretch should be, and you guys probably know that. Uh, there's Sometimes you stretch a person to pain. I, I'm not going to, uh, you know, like if you need to, to be a gymnast and you got to do, you know, falling splits on a high beam, and so you got to, honestly, those girls get stretched to pain. But why he wasn't? Was it because of the fascia of the muscle? Yeah, well, I'm going to just tell you just for the time's sake is that I never took him to extreme ranges of motion in anything. To be honest with you, I didn't take him to extreme. He was in the middle of the joint. I took him into internal rotation, but that was a skin lock. You know what I mean? Yeah. I took him into anterior elevation and distraction. Support. He wasn't. So I wasn't really stretching one particular tissue at all at a time, sort of thing. But it does make one believe. Why did it work so well? And I'll leave you with that. 
because I don't know, to be honest with you, but it does work. But do you see what I mean? If I took your finger and I jammed it back like this, after a while it starts hurting because I've taken you to the extreme ranges of motion. I never took it with him to any of the extreme ranges of motion. That internal rotation was a skin lock. Come on, it's a skin lock. It's not like really forcing the knee and the femur hard into the end range. Do you have something like that that you can make out of a head uh, for the shoulder? Yes. Do you want to show it? Yep. Oh, no, not right now. I don't, okay. to be honest with you. But you're right. No, but I love the guy's train of thought because that's where the book's coming out, right there. It's going to be with every joint. You can do this to every joint. Just think about what I did and you should be able to figure it out yourself. Seriously. You know, depending if you want internal versus external rotation and stuff like that. But it, it, it's the same concept with every joint. Okay. Um, don't lose arms. Huh? Oh, remember, I told you, you don't go to the end range in any of the joint motions. Yep. Uh, excuse me, is this um, the only way that you're doing uh, tests for glutes? Yes, it is. Okay. How about you? Oh, well, oh, I've done the prone with the leg lift, but I don't think that's effective anymore. I think that that's totally non-functional. And honestly, I got that from Jeff Hauser, to be honest, just to not to name drop, but he told me that that's stupid. And I agree with him, honestly. You go to most docs and they'll get you to line your stomach, and that's not where we want our glutes to work. We want them to work from here to here, and that's really hard to test, you know, objectively. Uh, you can get them to maybe single leg jump or something like that, but then you're not isolating it as much as, uh, as that. So it could be the hamstring, it could be the pair of vertebrals that are weak that are causing them to, you know, for those objective matters. So, good. Um, I just want to ask one thing. Yeah. Ask as many as you want. I don't care anything, mine. Okay. Then can you lay out on a, on a, on a just, I just want to ask. Yes, Bobby, done it first. You're going to be lined up for the weekend. Sometimes I can't find uh, words on English because English is my not first step, but I, I think you will understand me. Okay. So, for example, if you do um, extension, yes. extension, so you can, uh, you know that uh, thoracolumbal fascia is yep. connected with uh, glute fascia. That's why it works. One reason yeah. why I put that so in. So if you put hands here and here, yep. if you do extension, yep. you can feel if uh, you oh. feel pressure here. Yeah. Thoracolumbal fascia yeah. take all weights from the glutes here because yeah. glutes doesn't fire yeah. first. So maybe that can be one testing of the gluteus firing. It's really easy. You just do hip extension. If you feel more pressure here, then here, so thoracolumbar fascia take more weights than gluteus doing. Then uh, gluteus don't fire first, uh, thoracolumbar fascia take more pressure here. So that's one way that I learned in my school. Yeah. Where are you from? Uh, I'm also from Europe, Montenegro. It's, maybe you don't know, it's a really small country. Oh. But, but the reason, he's stating exactly what uh, Vladimir Jan had talked about, to be honest with you, the firing check, check guy. Yeah. And if you ever get a chance to go to that institute, it's highly recommended. Uh, I forget or the cross body syndrome. Yeah, yeah this, that's, he's describing that exactly. You know, and that's that's a valid point. Uh, to be honest with you. Hey, uh, can I, I I go into what I understand? Okay. Can I show one? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. That's why I'm here. To be honest with, you, to learn from you guys. That's the only one that I think that it's good. So he's talked about firing patterns, not about strength. Just I was just talking about from one side to the other. But that's the con that sling that they've talked about. And that's why I, I think that I get so much success is I use that fascia to get elongation or separation of the... I understand that. Yeah. Yes. So you and I are on the same wavelength. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But for example, uh, a lot of, uh, in a lot of cases, um, during the spotting, yes. when your Bluetooth doesn't support 
the, the pattern uh, because of that you have pain in yeah. the It's not about structural pain, it's about uh, pressure on the tolecolumbar fascia. That's yes. usually the pain in a lumbar, in the lumbar uh, spine because gluteus doesn't fire first and you have a lot of pressure on tolecolumbar fascia. Yeah. That's uh, what I learned. I don't I think that it's wrong. No, I would concur that that's right. To be honest with you, my way of thinking, I'm totally, I'm not dismissing it. It's absolutely correct. It falls in the way I think as well. Yeah, I was, uh, Greg is much better person to talk about it, but this one is good. It's 90, 90 position. Oh! And just if you can, all this like, like here, if you could not do abduction, that means your load is firing well. That's it. You're yeah. isolating everything. <laughs> Not a lot of people can do that. No. I mean, and actually, first show them. You gave Greer that stretch, to be honest with you. Uh, Mike was working with one of my guys, uh, sort of thing, and to be honest with you, just kind of a side note, that thank you, Gintzer. But uh, when we uh, talk, worked with uh, Greer, you only saw him four or five times, right? Or maybe six, I'm not sure. No, I think it was one was approaching 10. But the point being is that he improved his speed, uh, you know, immensely. And I think the only thing that he took away Honestly, was posture. You know that, that's what. And he, he, uh, uh, but the point being is that what you just demonstrated, uh, unbelievable exercise. I don't know if the you know people back on you know, the TV thing can see that, but that's an awesome stretch. We also gave him that stretch because if you don't have good posture or the range of motion, you can't run fast and stuff like that. That is a, uh, that's a big bang for your buck stretch. To be honest with you, I love it. Um, okay, um, is there any? Oh, I know what I wanted to talk to you about uh, a little bit. Is um, hey, any other questions? Because uh, I'll tell you, so what I'd like to do is to just show you a couple of um, uh, ab uh, abdominal strength tests that you might not have seen before. Now, I know that there's a lot of different ways of testing abdominal strength, right? Um, uh, but uh, 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 some of them aren't very functional uh, sort of things. So I I'd like to just share with you some of the things that I think are, are one, to see if it's the, the hard drive or the software. You know, to differentiate between that for uh, core stability. Because what you just demonstrated there, what I always look for is core first. If you believe in the works that Paul Hodges or Joel or those people in Australia, that, and I, sometimes they take it to a limit, but they always say that like the transverse abdominus and, and, and those small muscles, they're really important to, to normalize your motion and stuff like that. Now. Did you ever hear the deal with that uh, Paul Hodges? That's kind of funny. Uh, do you know who he is, Paul Hodges? Yeah, he's a researcher from Australia, and, and he came up with, you know, uh, um, and this is kind of how silly sometimes physios are, but I went hook, line, and sinker in this. He said that you could actually uh, train a person's uh, uh, transverse abdominus. It's the abdominal muscle that goes in the transverse thing to stabilize your lumbar spine by drawing your testicles up into your body. You know how many people, I, big hockey players, I told to do that? <laughs> I gotta be honest, with you, when I started after a while, I was thinking, this is the stupidest damn thing I've ever done. Just tell a guy to, you know, or stop peeing, you know, that, then you start to really work those transverse abdominis. Anyways, uh, and, and you know, the research that he had done on this, and, and he only did this research on five people, so not a big, so, but he got his grad students, and, what, and, and I'm just telling you what he did, is he, he stuck a, a wire up uh, uh, the uh, ureter, and uh, uh, you know where that is, uh, uh, and then, then he got, got these guys to do these exercises, to stay, and then they looked at ultrasound, cross-sectional area of the transverse abdominis, and stuff. so he, he thought, well, this is really important to do this, but in actual fact, um, only five people, and so, uh, and he couldn't reproduce it because, like, a lot of guys didn't sign up for that type of research. Um, 
So the point being is that going back to uh, this is that, you know, it, and they spent a lot of time and money and they got a lot of publications and stuff like that. But really, uh, to be honest with you, you can stimulate your transversal dominance by just sitting up straight. You know, you know, my I'm rooster straight right now. You can tell that my transversal dominus is just by looking at my shoulders. I'm nice and tall. I might have a chin poke posture. But that's from I don't know, like just years of studying or whatever. Maybe it's just genetic. Or, uh, but point being is that that's you don't. I, I, that's a much more effective way to get the transverse abdominis than telling a guy to stop peeing or raise his testicles up into his body. Um, uh, or uh, or drawing in, uh, you can't. When you're shooting a puck at 100 miles an hour, you're not going to think of, oh, I'm going to draw in and I'm going to draw. You, you know that, that. But keep your shoulders high and square, and, and then you're effective. That's coaching. That's cueing. You know what I mean? That's successful transfer of you know that individual muscle to what you need to do, sort of thing. So uh, now, oh, um, I, I want to just show you these two two exercises that you can do, and you know. I just kind of wanted to spread a little bit of you know interest. I wasn't going to go into a great detail here, uh, sort of thing, but um, I think stuff that might be useful. W would you mind coming once again? Yes, uh, I, I know, right? <laughs> well, now that we're in, you know, I almost feel like uh, you know I've got a daughter. Would you like to meet her? Like, uh, <laughs> part of my family. But hey, the first one is just a compress. Has anybody seen this uh, body compression test? Where you, I, I'm a, and so what happens here, just, uh, just stand a little bit further forward, and, and I'll face that way. I don't blame you why you're a little bit curious what I'm doing back here, but I'm going to get up here, and uh, so I'm going to just take my fingers, and actually, you can get the same thing if I just tell you to go stand in that corner uh, for the next 20 minutes, and I want you to stand as straight as possible, he's going to tell me where the hardware problem is to be honest with you. Uh, so if he can do that, then he's got major stabilizers. You know what I mean? He's got good stabilizers, the transverse abdominis, the multifidus, the rotaries, uh, wherever it might be a problem. But to speed up, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna find his first rib, and his first rib's just kinda like in the drape of the neck right there. And then what I'm gonna do is, first I'm gonna push down to the bone. This is graded on a scale of five, one through five. So when I'm on those things, and I'm gonna just push straight, and hey, am I pushing straight down? Are my elbows in the frontal plane of his body? You see, kind of or not really? Okay, so I'm gonna push straight down and I'm there. And then what I'm gonna do is keep pushing. And I wanna push as hard as that I can almost feel I'm right through to his metatarsal arches or to his arm. And I can, actually at about two he breaks. I don't know if you can notice that. Hey, can you see right here, him breaking right here? Just watch again, please, okay? So I'm gonna, from here, I'm gonna. It's a little buckling, correct? And so, you know, one thing that we've always talked about is ground reaction forces and forces that his body has to take in high level activity. So if I'm pushing through here and he's kind of buckling there with that, do you think he's ready to run high hurdles? Or, or to, you know, he's not. He's gonna break down in his lumbar spine because his core is not working as efficiently as possible because it's not stacked one on top of the other. And that's why he has that buckling effect. Now, the next test is, so that's the hardware. The next test is just from here, I'm gonna ask, there I asked him not to really do anything. He was just kind of standing there, correct? This one, I want you to resist me. Okay. Now I wanna see how strong his core is, okay? Because core first. If you don't have a strong core, you're gonna always be, you're not gonna be able to transmit the force from here to here, or from here down to here. You know what I mean? So that's really kind of important. So what I'm gonna ask him, I'm gonna come here, uh, and, and this humerus should be in a straight line down, are they? 
Then I'm going to come to not his carpal bones, but just proximal uh, to his the, the proximal wrist crease right here and here. Now right there. Hold it there. Okay. Now the same thing. One to five. When does he start tipping forward? Oh, he's actually tipping right now. Huh? Do you see that? Yeah. So I can tell you. He, yeah. Look at his heels. Is that where you're kind of? Well, no, I actually saw his arms go forward. Oh. Hey, were you trying as hard as you could? No, I wasn't. Gosh, didn't I tell him to try hard? <laughs> I think I did. Okay, that's your bat. Here, let's do it again. Okay, here. Now, over there, that, the arms are pointing straight down. Elbows at 90 degrees. I'm going to come just proximal to the wrist crease there and there. And then with this kind of grip right here, I'm going to put, apply pressure straight down. Don't let push. So at two, he breaks. Point is, he's not using his transverse abdominus and his major stabilizers there. So again, I don't think that, you know, but this is just tricks. I can trick him to start using those muscles really quite easily, to be honest with you. But that's for another lecture. Okay, I just wanted to share with you a couple, like it's just, we need to work on specificity and, you know, uh, again, like PNF patterns would get that really strong in a very short period of time. But if he could do both of those things, I would feel good in my heart to let him go back to full activity that, you know, if he's had back pain or something like that, or to doing heavy squats or cleans and stuff like that, that he can stabilize that core and also be uh, as good at movement as he possibly can. Thank you. Hey, no do you have any questions about that one? No. Oh. Have you used that? Oh, you do? It's called statue. A statue, like you are staying, I mean, I lose that, use that madly. They are staying like this. They have to put the arms like this, okay, and I'm just moving them or it could be here or whatever. So they would try to stabilize just by keep, keeping the position. Yeah. What would you call that test? I'm sorry. What, what, what was compression, the second one was? Uh, just the elbow flexion test. And to be honest with you, that's on YouTube too, so that's not a peak freezing thing. That, that's been actually proven. Uh, reliability is out of the ceiling. Like it's less, than, like the reliability is like 97% between individuals. So if I got a number and you got a number, if you taught for or saw it a couple of times, you should be just as proficient, efficient at uh, doing it as you know the next person to test it, uh, sort of thing. So uh, I think that's a that's a good one to be honest with you. Hey, you know, uh, just going back to some other things that now I'm going to start just jumping all over the place. Hey, one thing that I'd like to talk to you about is the homunculus. The seriously, can you believe I brought that up? The homunculus. Because the homunculus is created right about the parietal suture, just underneath. And it's the cortex. And the, and the reason why is that I think that strength and conditioning coaches need to be thinking about the homunculus more and more is with the advent of what's happening in medicine, to be honest with you. Because now they can do functional MRIs. And they can see what's going on in the brain very, very quickly. <laughs> oh man, I got another point for I want. To, hey, do you mind if I just take a, a moment here? Would you mind? Okay. Hey, because I got to be honest with you, a lot of times people, you know, if you're teaching a guy's got back pain, you tell him to sit up straight and stuff like that. How many of you know how to differentiate between sitting on the posterior pelvic floor or the anterior pelvic floor? Do you understand the question? Posterior pelvic floor or the anterior pelvic floor? Well, I can tell you right now, you're sitting on the anterior pelvic floor. Because what he's doing is, you know, you're sitting on the posterior pelvic floor. So if you look at the sitz bones, right, the ischial tuberosities, when you're past that or you're slouched, you're on the posterior pelvic floor. What's that doing to your lumbar spine? Flexing it. Where now he's, now just sit up and now go with the, it's, it's, you know, the ischial tuberosity and now sort of go, so the pressure's on the front part of your ischial tuberosity. 
Do, do, everybody should try that, okay? Especially you, because you're going to be really hurting in your back. So what you want to do is to, point being is when you're right on the ischial tuberosities, if you go backwards on it, you're sitting on the posterior pelvic floor, not engaging the, the transverse abdominus or anything. So if you have an athlete that's been at the computer for a long time sitting on the posterior pelvic floor, you have a woman that has incontinence, or maybe even men, but women especially, uh, to be honest, it's a big issue with childbirth. I'm telling you, there's a whole market out there, uh, something we should market. But anyways, um, not to get it, but to prevent or to help it. But when you're on the back part of the ischial tuberosities, that's in disengaging your core. When you're on the front part or between your pubic bone and the front of your ischial tuberosities, don't you feel better about yourself? A point, sorry, I got off on a tangent, but I'll tell you something, when I looked at you, I didn't look at you, I see, well, that guy's on the interior pelvic floor, and uh, that's not very common, mm -hmm. especially the length, length of this thing, how long has it been going, oh, it's two o'clock, and you're still on your interior pelvic floor. When you can't stand, uh, still that anymore, you should get up, move around, and stuff like that, and come back. Okay, sorry, hey, where was, oh, I know, the homunculus. Is that this is really important, because when I started the business, way back when, I didn't even know how to, pronounce the word, to be honest with you, but especially with high-level sports, the homunculus has become more and more important. The sensory and the motor homunculus. Do you guys ever think of that when you're teaching motion? Can I tell you something as it relates to um, injury? When I, again, this is a long time, I'm not gonna keep telling you, but along, when I first started the business and I was taping ankles and stuff like that, they said if you tape two fingers together, like, you know, if they sprain one finger and you tape it, you know, buddy tape it, and everybody does that. You do that for two weeks, the homunculus sees only one finger. It doesn't see two fingers. Have you ever heard that? Or, you, you know, like if you tape your ankle for a long period of time, there's 26 joints, I think, in, in the ankle. Or maybe there's 14, uh, it doesn't matter. But the point is, there's lots of joints. You take that ankle, guess what? The homunculus stops thinking that it, it's um, uh, got all of those joints. It's got one joint because it's all taped together. You got somebody that's coming out of knee surgery or something like that. That, uh, that area, the neuroplasticity, the, the neuroplasticity, the feedback to the homunculus, now they know it's not two weeks. Do you know how quickly that actually changes? The neuroplasticity that feeds the homunculus about where the joints are, how many joints there are, and things like that? Do you understand the question? Say it one more time. The, the neuroplasticity, when you tape a joint up, how long does it take to change the implantation in the homunculus? The nerves, the neuroplasticity feeding forward the area in the homunculus. Do you mean an actual structural change? Yes. Or yep. Boom. One week. The, the structural maybe week, two two days, something like that. A week. A week. Anything else? Four days. Hours. Hours. Boom. Bang. That's perfect. That's exactly what I wanted. So within hours, you're starting to detrain your athlete with an injury. Or if you're seeing him actually or her walk differently and stuff like that, that's changing the neuroplasticity within hours. And to be honest with you, I was going to do a PowerPoint presentation, but uh, we, we just wanted to be casual. I can show you the data, the information on that. And I actually, if you want me to send that, the, within hours, the, the neurodendrites and stuff like that change, and they say, start to accommodate, so it's giving better feedback. So the point being is that it's pretty important to, to know that that happens that quickly, because the more you can regain normal function, whether a bad performance or whatever, it's, it's very, very important. I know this isn't exact, obviously, but what is your take on the impact of footwear and athletes having the same issues with their feet? 
Oh, it's huge. Actually, hey, uh, guys, uh, let's drop down there uh, then. Although I'm getting, well, we're going to kind of make it casual. It's huge. Footwear is a big deal. And, you know, the thing is, you know, whether you're a high-performance coach or a trainer, when you have a foot problem, the first thing you should look at is footwear. I think it's a big deal, to be honest with you. And we've kind of gone through all those crazes, the minimus and, and uh, stuff. Now I think the big deal is looking at the slope, uh, to be honest with you. And we know that, you know, if you want to go forefoot or hindfoot and stuff like that, if you have an Achilles, shortened Achilles tendon, the slope of the runner is really important. It's about five millimeters difference. Is that correct? I think. If, if it's less than that, uh, you're putting a lot of stress on the Achilles tendon. And so that's pretty important because if you have a, a basketball player and stuff like that and he has a big slope and then you put him into a slow slope shoe, one, he's probably more prone to tearing his Achilles tendon. So shoes are, are really, really important. But it's so important. Uh, again, when I was hanging around with a lot of Olympic lifters, they always said to me, and I, I was, maybe it was after a few beers, but they always said, think of your, your foot as hands. What? what are you talking about? But they say, you know, the best Olympic lifters, but you guys probably already know this stuff, they, they, when they go up to the platform, they want to grab their feet and they want to grab their toes and they want to dig in like this. They want to grab the earth. And so they've actually got a connection for all of their muscles with Mother Earth as they pull the bar up up their shoulders where they're doing a cleaner snatch. So they actually have to have that ability. And in my sport of ice hockey, uh, we have the worst feet. If you want to see ugly feet, now I don't have a foot fetish, but if you want to see ugly feet, you look at most hockey players because they jam their foot into a small toe box. They don't actually even really care about a heel counter as long as it's stiff and stuff like that. Point is it really takes away from all of your balance. The two largest represented areas on the homunculus, guess what they are? Oh, the three I can tell you right now. Hands. Hand, yeah, good. Feet. Feet. Yeah, feet. What's the third? Face. It lips. And so, but point B, so, the, the, so if you're, I'm telling you, you're talking my language. If you're talking about homunculus and, or the foot and how important it is, the homunculus is very, and if you believe what I'm trying to tell you with motor movement, if you get bad shoes, you're going to affect that imprint within a couple of hours. Um, What's your guidance on it to kind of combat that? And I know that's obviously really general, but. Okay, and I'm going to just give you a general quick question. If you're really interested in this, look up uh, on Facebook, Toe Yoga, Parts 1 and 2. And I'll tell you something. Uh, I, I, and I was just seeing this deal on uh, uh, Facebook or some, I don't know, about bunions. You know what I mean? And they have this apparatus to pull the thing out and stuff like that. That's kind of cool. Uh, so, but I can tell you, a brace is not an answer for bunions and stuff like that. Uh, I, honestly, uh, if you look up at Toe Yoga, it's a simple thing. If you got somebody, honestly, like, you know, even decreasing extension, uh, uh, you know, coming off the inside of their foot, they're going to decrease their stride length. Like the toes are really important. They actually say that the majority of baseball players that have shoulder problems actually. The, the, uh, did you hear this? this? Yeah. Oh shit! It's their great toe. Metatarsal range of motion is decreased, but a lot of times it's one to have the range, but you also have to have the strength. And so toe yoga is a really good way to teach your athletes to use their foot correctly, and especially if they have, again, if they have specialized shoes like my guys do, it's really important for them to do, if they want to maximize the use of their glutes and their hands and all of those things, you know, to maximize function. So I think it's a really good, um, good uh, question and also something to think about, like to at least having your repertoire. Like you don't have to become a toe yoga expert, you know what I mean, take class, I mean, just the basic things of being able to disengage your toe, great toe and little toe uh, flexion as the four toes go into extension, you know what I mean? And be able to do that, you know, uh, some, some of the people, and I also know just from years of doing this, if you look at a foot, a lot of times you can see spinal problems. 
because you'll get atrophy between the lumbricals, uh, 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 between the toes. They'll, they'll be indented on, on one side versus the other. So uh, again, um, picking up on that stuff can kind of help the athlete maximize their genetic potential. Um, hey, let me ask you too, you know, when we're talking about a keen eye uh, sort of thing, when I see an athlete do a toe raise, you know, a calf raise, and we know how important, I didn't even think about talking about dorsiflexion, but dorsiflexion is, that's just take, it's overwhelming how many people are talking about dorsiflexion. Actually, at my hockey rink, I had the longest uh, uh, tote board in the world because I wanted all my athletes to, to dorsiflex on a regular basis. Uh, so I, that's a really important thing to do. But also, too, what about when, uh, I, uh, when I'm looking at a person do a calf raise, you know, uh, a calf raise. And I think that's really important to have a good understanding of calf raise, uh, what, what your eye should look at when you're doing a calf raise on the foot. Their knees should be straight. Okay. That's a given, though. On the foot. What do you think you should look at? Okay, hey, would you mind coming the just inversion? to... Oh, boom! Of what? Of the, oh, of the foot, of the ankle, of the foot. I, yeah. I don't know how to say it. No, I think if you said go, it correctly. If you go out, a lot of people, they go of uh, the outside ball of the foot. Yeah. Instead of using, I don't know, the whole toes of something. And also, now they're not using, they're using quadriceps a lot. They're not going through the full range of motion out there. If, if those are the cases. Itself. And so I'm, I'm looking sort of just regionally, right locally, what I'm looking at. I'll just tell you what, because, you know, I used to get my athletes to do inversion, eversion exercises. Yeah. Uh, you know, that doesn't happen a lot in a basketball game. Oh, wait, i got to do this. You know, that's not the way the ankle works, so it's really not functional. But doing a good calf raise, how many times does a guy do that? Or stop and push off like that? A lot. You know what I mean? So the point being is, what should we be looking at? The keen eye. Would you mind coming and just doing a calf raise here? You can just use this bench here to stabilize yourself with. And then the back. And so what I'm looking for, I can always tell them. Yeah, so I know he's dogging it right now. That's crap, that's bull crap. You know, I thought we knew that we were gonna get, get. so when I ask him to go up on the, uh, the ball of his foot, what I wanna see is his calcaneus invert, and I think that's what you talked about. So come on up. Yeah, so if he's going up, up higher, up higher, he should actually invert his ankles a little bit if he wants to get the maximum range of motion. So that's what I'm asking you to do. If you're seeing somebody that doesn't have that good you know, jump shot, over, you might be because he doesn't have the ability or he's not trained to invert those calcaneuses ever so slightly. So they should be inverted five degrees. And if you do, you have a stable hind foot. Hey, we're talking about when do you return an athlete to sports. Well, one thing, if he can't do a great calf race, he shouldn't go back, but he has to be able to go up as high as he can, invert the calcaneus, and then you know you're at maximum height, and you know that because both the perineals and the tibial uh, muscles, the, the collateral strength is there appropriate to allow him to do that. Does that make sense? It does? You got it? Okay, thank you very much. I think that he could actually go even higher, and also too, just for the sake of time, uh, because I wasn't standing directly behind him, but was his calcaneus inverting a bit? Okay, good. It doesn't mean a lot, but then I can tell you that he's using both sides of his ankle muscles to stabilize it. And then you know that the gastrox is strong because he's got a good stable uh, surface to push from. Um, Hey, I think that that's all I was going to talk about the foot, the, the, the toe yoga and, and, and then that. Um, any, anybody else have something to say about the foot? Yeah, I'm not about the foot. Oh. I, I mean, I'm not very familiar with the hockey. I mean, I watched a lot of games, but that's nothing. And you're a strength coach. How do you approach uh, to the... I, I, I see that you are talking a lot about range of motions. 
Do you have anything like, you know, specific range of motion training in terms of some exercises, like let's say bench press? I mean, obviously you are looking at specificity, so let's say, are you using some specific range of motion from bench press for the athlete, for the, your hockey players? Because obviously it's a collision sport, they need to push a lot, but they never push from here to there. You know, they, they, have, to, they, they have to push the athletes, your opponents from, you know, this part. Yeah. You, do you look at that or something? How do you approach that? I read that somewhere. Yeah. So I'm just, you know, speaking from my mind. Okay, can I tell you something? Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm like sometimes I, I know the science behind stuff, and sometimes I don't. I just from my own heart, practical experience, and so you can't argue with my experience. But one, the best way to teach the bench press is to leave it out. Uh, I think. But the only thing is, you know, Mike and I have talked about that the combines and stuff like that. They go, they go heavy on the bench press. So you got to teach that sort of thing. So you got to teach it as safe as possible. I, I just had an athlete when I was starting out. He blew out his pectoral muscle, and he was a pretty good linebacker, and he never played again because of this. But bad surgery and whatnot, probably bad rehab. Uh, but uh, uh, I also think uh, you know, like you talk about this. In my mind, my mindset is I want to go through a full range of motion. Uh, to be honest with you, I want him to. If he's going to do something like this, I want like I don't just work on this range because more often than not. Um, he's going to go through a range bigger than what you think he is. I remember my first bad shoulder that I rehabbed, um, this guy had shoulder stabilization, and the doctor said, well, you can't lift your hands above the head. And the athlete said, well, Pete, when does a hockey player lift his hands above his head? Right? Yes. You've seen enough hockey. How many times do they do that? When they fight. Well, not really, because they're just going like this. Yeah, but also, too, when they go to block a puck, a lot of times they'll throw their arms out like this uh, sort of thing. So that's why I always train through a full range of motion. I look to make sure they're strong through that full range of motion, to be honest with you. I think that that's critical, because a lot of times people just get strong in a certain range, and then that makes them more uh, prone to uh, problems. Hey, just going back to the bench press, too, just because what I do with my athletes is that uh, because my coaches all want, uh, 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 and that's been easy to test. So they, they say, what's the guy's bench press? And I said, well, I don't do bench press, but look, we're going to compromise, right? And that's the way you're successful on a team is compromising. We do incline bench. And the reason why we do incline is whenever you can bisect a, a thing instead of, oh, I, I'll tell you another quick thing too. Whenever you can intersect two planes of motion, you know, from uh, the horizontal and the vertical, if it's in between, you use more muscle groups. There you go. Hey, can I tell you another thing too? And I'll just tell you that I was going to leave to show you this, and you can do this on YouTube. You want to talk about rupturing a bicep? You know the best way to rupture a bicep is? Yeah. Huh? I mean, uh, deadlifts. Yep. yep. Why? Hey, did you hear that? He said deadlift. Why? Because you're pulling with your bicep instead of your back. And uh, which one? Which uh, which hand ruptures first? Because this is the key point. I mean, if you do mixed grip, you're talking yeah. about that. Yeah. Yes, I am. The one that's. Uh, uh, how to say that? That's supinated. Yeah. Supinated. Boom. You'll never see somebody uh, uh, tear their bicep with a pronated grip. I'm just telling you. Sometimes they have to if that's what they have got to do for their you know testing or whatnot. But otherwise, there is nothing to gain with a supinated grip except rupturing your bicep, and that's not fun surgery. That's three or four months uh, sort of thing. And it's actually if you do YouTube, it you'll find you want to see an expression of pain. Uh, you should see somebody rupture their bicep, uh, but it's always in a supinated grip because it's direct force. You know what I mean on that sort of thing. So, uh, anyways, um, that's why hook grip. I'm sorry. That's why hook grip always. Yeah, uh, but I, that's a little nuance that maybe not everybody in the room knew. To be honest with you. Um, 
Okay. Any other questions? When you were saying about always going through full range of motion, so you don't do like quarter squats and everything? Uh, you know, uh, I, I can, you know, like it sort of periodize it through uh, sort of thing, but I prefer the, the, the people to do full squats, to be honest with you, unless there's some type of pathology that won't allow them to do that. You know, like patella for moral pain or, or something like that. And, and to lead up, I think that's a great lead up into doing full things. Yeah. Hey, can I tell you just one quick thing? I'll, I'll give you an example of this, okay? Hey, do you know what a burpee is? Yeah. Okay. Hey, well, come on up here. Give you a break. <laughs> hey, let's look at his burpee. He loves working out. I don't. <laughs> oh, you don't? No, I do. Okay. Hey, I'm just wondering one other thing though. Uh, it's two thirteen. What time should we go till? Uh, this can go for as long as you want. I have a conference call at two thirty. Okay. Hey, should we go till two thirty then, guys? Yeah. Because honestly, I know that you guys are probably getting sick of this, but hey, okay. would you mind going through the burpee? Because uh, some of my dearest friends, colleagues in the business, they say the burpee is the stupidest thing in the world. Well, honestly, I've heard that. And to me, I think this is the best exercise in the world. I swear to God. There's so many variations to do with the burpee. But how many people do a good burpee? That's what I'd like to know. Not too many. Not too many. Hey, so now that you said that, this like kind of increases the pressure. Oh, well, it should, but because if you do a good burpee, I'm going to get the hairs on this little forearm are going to jump out. I'm going to be honest with you because I, I don't. No, I'm not asking you to do a jumping burpee. All right. well, I just want. We all got low expectations. <laughs> <laughs> hey, all, all I want to do is to see a, a nice slow going through the action burpee. <laughs> Actually, that's not too bad. That's, that's better than I anticipated. What? Oh, oh, hey. <laughs> that means he also had no legs. Hey, can I tell you something? Well, but from a keen eye, what did you see him do wrong? I didn't, I, it was blocked. Oh, hey, well, can you get in a position to see? Yeah. Okay. Now, can you do that again one more time, sorry, slowly? His hips dropped, maybe. Hips dropped. Yeah, he has a high lower doses. Yeah, not in one piece. He was not going down in one piece. Yeah, good. Yeah, so, and that's a common complaint. So this guy, if he does, what's your name? Vince. Vince, if Vince does 150 of those things, guess what he's going to come the next day? Oh, my back is a bit sore. No shit. You know, you've been not using your core or uh, the transverse abdominal, so I can either tell you to draw your scrotum in or your uh, test, or else, you know, straighten it. That ain't going to work. I'm going to because I have tried it. Yeah, it's it don't not work. Gonna work. It's you know. Hey, so uh, do you understand what he just told you, Vince? About the deadlifts and the biceps? No, about tightening up your stomach oh. so you don't go into such a lumbar lordosis, right? Yeah. He, he's got to tighten up his stomach. But the other thing is, I want to tell you something, and you got a beautiful, was I standing in front of you? No, you're fine. Because the other thing that he was doing, he was showing to me, brutal, brutal range of motion in the hips. Now I'll tell you something, we started off with the pistol. He wasn't going into internal rotation at all with his hips. Shame on you. So let's go through it again. Now this time, the corrections. You're going to tighten up your tummy, right. or else we're going to ask you to tighten up your uh, testicles. And so you're going to, so don't, hey, don't be so zealous, okay? Keep that core straight. That's why you do all those planks. But also to keep your knees inside your arm span, not outside like this. Right. You're not doing a sumo. That's telling me he's lacking, what? Posterior capsule flexibility, right? If he's going like this, keep them inside. Keep your knees together. Drop your hands right by your ankle bones, your outside uh, malleolus, and then shoot them back. Here we go. Do a burpee. Everything. You understand everything. Come on. 
Oh, yeah. hey, what part of keeping your knees together did you not understand? Well, there were a lot of cues in this. Okay, <laughs> hey, that's a good point. That's my bad. That's my bad, Coach. I'm going to take it. You got to tell me one or two yeah. things. Yeah. yeah. That's. That, I'm sorry. That is all on me. All on me. Sort of thing. That's keep your knees together. When your hands come down to the floor, keep your knees together. Don't allow them to go outside the border of your shoulders, of your arms. I didn't. I, did I articulate that very well? You did that slowly. That is slowly for this guy. <laughs> okay, but do you understand the importance of well, this? This is so bad because these guys they are they are <laughs> so happy. <laughs> you see how I treat me? <laughs> Nothing but respect. I see. Nothing but respect. <laughs> Let's see you do it. You can do it. Oh. Okay, much better. My point being is that there's a, quite a few things to look at. But did you see his knee position there? Now, as people get lazier and lazier, they're going to get their legs out further. They're also, too, honestly, lazy guys will actually have their legs, their hands drop down. They're almost falling to the ground instead of putting themselves to the ground. That's a burpee, and that's a sort of the trained eye that I think that you guys need to acquire, or you already have, to make sure the person's doing it correctly. You know what I mean? Hey, does that make sense to you? It does. Do you see the difference between the way we're doing it? And, the way, and you know what? Somebody, if you ever want to see the importance of this for core strength, Okay, this is a core exercise. There's no question about it. Ask a pregnant lady in the second or third trimester to do a burpee because they've got such stretch weakness, they might not even have an intact rectus. They can't do this. You know what I mean? So the point being is when you do have abdominal problems, you can't do a good burpee. You know what I mean? You're, ar you're going to arch your back. So I believe this is a very good exercise. Then you can also do, you know, like plyo burpees and you know, med ball burpees and all kinds of types of burpees that I think that are, are very functional. One-legged burpees. You know, you, you, have you ever done a one-legged burpee? Right, let's try it. Hey, well, let's, 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 let's try it. Let's try it. I struggle with two. That was a two-legged burpee. Yeah, yeah. I struggle with two. But I would, I would, would you mind just showing the people just to see what a one-legged burpee looks like for their memory bank? Even though it might not be perfect. That was so much. I, I, I have so You are allowed. What do you like? I don't want to. Just stand on one leg. Yeah, put that, and you're not going to stand on that again. Okay, now do a burpee. Put your hands down on the ground. And straighter back there, and then bring that up. Woo. That's a one-legged burpee. That's an athlete. Didn't jump. That's what it is. That's an athlete. Yeah, that's an athlete. Hey, you know, you know what would be a, a tougher one than this? No legged. One arm. <laughs> one arm. Yeah, you're right. One arm burpee. Have you done one? No. Oh, because a one arm burpee, that's like Rocky Stallone type of strength and stuff like that. But I won't get oh, you to do that. Oh, you're Rocky. Huh? Hey, okay. Hey, let me. Uh, and so now I got. Oh, it's another 10 minutes. Can I just show you one thing that you, you impressed upon me? And I should have picked this up, honestly. And so sometimes it's good to have another set of eyes looking at an athlete instead of yours all the time. And so when we talked about Greer, his head position, right? It, 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 was, it was going back. Like this guy, what, he's a middle linebacker for Notre Dame, captain of the team, a stellar athlete, all this, but mostly because of his physical premise, you know, like he can knock that crap out of anybody sort of thing, but he wasn't running as efficiently as possible. Now, to make Notre Dame, that's even a tough thing. If he wants to make the NFL, he ain't going to be allowed any type of problems, you know what I mean, like dysfunction that he can take away with. But what I wanted to tell you about the, uh, the neck, because I think one of the biggest things was his head posture. Would you agree? Yeah. Because he was going back. So the point being is that I think that a lot of people forget when you are looking at the neck, because in sports we get all kinds. You know Michael Jordan? Yeah. Uh, he, he was a tongue thruster. Do you know what a tongue thruster is? Yep. Boom. Did you know there was such a term called a tongue thruster? No, I didn't. 
Yeah. Hey, and who am I to say about genetic problems? But to be honest with you, the guy had a problem with his tongue. Um, but uh, because every time he got into stressful type positions, out come the tongue. And it happens to a lot of athletes. They call tongue thrusters. And there's uh, neonatal stages or embryonic or uh, natal stages that you pass through that maybe he didn't successfully pass through. But again, he's the greatest athlete on the planet. Point being, tongue position is really important. Over there. Yeah, do you mind? Oh, just no, no, no. Hey, so the point being is that when you have an athlete, and this is all remember we called regional interdependence a lot of times if you're trying to get the guy as strong as possible as strong as he possibly can you want to look at that tongue position well a lot of times you can't really oh, you know the mouth's closed and he's not a tongue thruster like Michael Jordan albeit he did very well and I've had athletes have done well I've also had an athlete get hit with a tongue out of his mouth and that wasn't pleasant but anyways, if I'm going to test a person's neck strength, right? First of all, we want to get him in great position like this, okay? Uh, a great neck, so his ear is right over his shoulder, good. And I want to test his neck strength, right? And so just this time, what I'd like you to do, where is your tongue right now? Is it on the bottom of your, hey, let, let me tell you, I'm going to just, for speed, put the tongue on the bottom of, of your mouth, okay? Put your tongue resting on the bottom of your mouth, of your, inside your mouth. You understand what I just said? Yeah. Okay, now I'm going to ask you, did you hear that? I'm going to ask, and then I'm going to ask, bring my hand like this. I'm going to test his forward flexion or his neck, short neck flexors. Okay, boom. Oh, no, resist me. Resist oh, me. Yeah, resist me. Okay. <laughs> hey, to be honest with you, what I was looking at, what I'd like you to look at is his mente angle. Mente angle. Kind of a fun word to say. The mente angle is right here. This angle right here, okay? So when I, now again, tongue on the bottom of your mouth. Look at his mente angle. Do you see how the menthe angle came up? Okay, and that's the same with our, our, our athlete. Now what I want you to do, hey, nothing up my sleeves. This is just pure strength. When I'm talking about working with some, like Mike said, working with guys that want to lift a lot of heavy weight, put your tongue now on the roof of your mouth. That's where it should be, the roof of your mouth. Put the tip of your tongue on the roof of your mouth. Okay, I'm going to do the same thing. Watch the menthe angle. Holy moly. Shit! <laughs> I guess the point with that is that if you're getting rear-ended, uh, and you can see them in the rear-view mirror, where should your tongue be? Roof of your mouth, sort of thing. But the point being is it's really important not just to get that person's posture back, but also to make sure it's strong in that area. You, you know what I mean? Especially when they're engaging something. This is a big deal, man. Uh, honestly, if you've got a, a guy uh, that's, you know, concussions are so popular now. You know, I don't know why they're so popular now, but uh, you've got to strengthen those neck muscles to the best of your ability to prevent those things. No, I said, and I, I think that's it. Uh, okay, uh, thank you very much. Um, uh, let's see. I, I, anybody have questions right now? I talked about the neuroplasticity. Um, is that full range of motion when you were saying? Is that just hockey specific or is that with all your athletes? With all my athletes. Oh, yeah. I like to go through a complete range of motion because the area that I usually leave uh, is usually the area they get problems with. I do have a question. So, I mean, with your knowledge of hockey, so what is one of the major strength deficits that you see a lot in hockey players? Well, it's pretty much the same thing that you see in everything. Were you at the lecture last week? I was not, no, sir. Oh, boy, did you miss. Did you watch it on, online? No, but I will. Is it online? Or we have it. Oh. Hey, the point being is that, you know, my, and I honestly, I don't have an original thought in my head, except the pistol. That's one, I think. But Mike talked about, like, the, the, you know, looking at the pelvis. And that's why I spent some time, whether you're sitting on the, now you're back on the posterior pelvis. You need to stand up. But I want them on the anterior pelvis. But the same thing with running is that, uh, you know, or, or skating. When that pelvis starts to uh, arch forward, you know, like that, increasing the lumbar spine, 
Everything is terrible. I, I'm just telling you, like, it throws everything off. The energy, the transmission of force from one side to the other. So posture, honestly, so it transcends track and field. I think any sport, posture is the most important thing. And again, I actually had some biomechanical data that I had on this guy. And one thing that I want to add, too, is that what Mike cleared up with this football player is that uh, the trained eye, uh, he was always saying this is the most important part, right, with the athlete. I think, I'm paraphrasing, or but he's here so he can tell me I'm lying. But the thing is he used to cross his uh, body quite hard with one arm. And uh, with the biomechanical analysis we had, he, his rotation of his lumbar spine was just going, he didn't use his transverse abdominis at all uh, sort of thing. So point being is that the posture is the most important thing for the lumbar spine. The only thing is what's different about um, hockey versus versus track and field is that, you know how um, when you drive the arm down, that, that actually increases, whether you want to go vertically or horizontal, it's the arm drive, right? That helps or dictates it the maximum. You only have to stand on a weight scale and go like this quickly and you can see how much it actually helps. Like, I can drop like 20 pounds by going like this quickly. You know, it doesn't stay off long, but anyways, it, it really does help. Point being is with your arm swing, instead of like this, it's from side to side. So if I want to really push off hard on the one side, it's my lateral swing that actually helps me do that as compared to with track and field. So that's kind of a nuanced difference with ice hockey. So you train that a little bit different. Hey, I'm sorry, what was your question? Well, this is one of the biggest strength deficits that you see in ice hockey. You know, I'm, and I know that you're going to say this is crap, but honestly, it's strength. And uh, and it's not lack of strength. It's just that they, they start to if you ever, and I've seen a lot, and don't get me wrong, I've seen a lot of hockey players with very few clothes on, if any. Uh, so that's just kind of the way they are. You know, like I said, put some clothes on. But uh, uh, what happens, they almost get an indwelling here. Uh, in their glute, and they get the biggest groin muscles in the world. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you something. The groin muscles start to do what the glutes are supposed to do. That's serious. Like the adductor magnus keeps doing more like hip extension? Yeah. Yeah. But that's not, I mean, I mean, you don't think that's just like an adaptation from the more yeah. lateral movement of it's getting lazy. Hey, we talked about if you're not skating fast, you should get off the ice. It's actually from standing on the ice for too long and getting slow. You're, no, that's what it's from, to be honest with you. Uh, be honest with you. The point being is I want to work on their glutes to make sure that they've got that. You know, you ever see a guy on a slide board? Uh, uh, but, you, you know, when you ever see a guy, first of all, when he's, he drags his foot, that's eccentrically loading the groin. Now, if he does that every freaking day, you, you've got overuse stuff. And then what happens with the groins, you're talking about Yonda stuff, it goes into his opposite glute or, or uh, lower abdominal area, and we got sports hernias, we get cam pincher lesions and stuff like that. So I really take care of those regions, to be honest, and that's why I thought of the pistol stretch, honestly, because that gets my biggest bang. If I can keep, you know, have you ever heard of capsular patterns? All you have to do is go to a nursing home. You see an old person, and maybe even me, you, this is the way they walk. Guess what's getting tight? Their glutes, or their posterior capsule. They can't stand up as quickly as possible. You can keep your glutes mobile and keep your toe ahead. You're gonna improve their performance, not only for athletes, but also for geriatrics and stuff like that too. And like you said, like in the middle range, you're not gonna hurt anybody, you know. Thank you. Yeah. On, uh, what, look at, what is a typical warm-up of you? Look, oh, how do you structure a warm-up with all that knowledge that you can, for example, facilitate uh, certain type of muscle groups and something like that. Do you address this in the warm up? I, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Do you, do you have a, a, just a, a how to say it? Uh, a brief overview. overview what Not really. With a, but I gotta be honest with you, and we talked about this, this is where your trained eye comes in. Because you should be, you know, 
I, I don't think, uh, and I'm not bashing the, the functional movement screen, I'm not bashing Fusionetics or any of these movement screen things, but you know what, if you're a good coach, you don't need that stuff. Be honest with you, when I see an athlete bridging, I can tell you right away if his glutes are firing. You know what I mean? I can tell you if his lower back is, so I put them through, I, oh, I'll get him to do a burpee. I should be able to see that sort of thing. And taking him through full range of motion, because a lot of times with my schedule, I travel about 75,000 miles a year. We play 82 games in a regular schedule. And a lot of times we're, we're tired and stuff like that. But anyways, the point being is that you have to watch this stuff because they can get on the ice and, and then they'll tell you afterwards, well, my back was really sore and then I got on the ice trying to loosen it up. Well, I want them loose. And so what I do is I make sure that I watch that stuff when it's taking part in the dry land activity before they get on the ice. And there's no question it reduces injuries. And if it does that, it improves performance because you know the old cliche, you can't make the club in the tub. Well, it's true. You know what I mean? If you're hurt, so I try to watch that as closely as possible. Every, and you start to know your athletes too. That's why I think that, you know, these questionnaires, uh, stuff like that, health, wellness stuff, I think, uh, not your generation, but you guys stop talking to people, you know what I mean? You should get up and talk to your athletes on a regular basis, you know. Uh, you know, uh, I've heard your wife's running around on you. But, you know, that could actually uh, uh, have some problems, you know, sort of, but know your athletes, that's an extreme case. Never happened to me. But uh, know your athletes, talk to them, but also take that into their uh, workout. Because, you know, the other thing that I want to share with you, we, because uh, a lot of my athletes, because they're pros and they're just naturally talented. And you think, well, they're hard workers. Some of them aren't, I'm gonna be honest with you. Uh, some are just blessed with unbelievable talent. But they say, I don't need a warm-up. Well, yes, you do. Do you know why? Do you know what they've proven without question about a warm-up is it improves your brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Brain-derived neurotrophic. That just happened right there. Brain-derived neurotrophic. Did you know what that is? Yeah, I, I can't imagine. What? It, it, uh, how many, how to say, how many drives does your... your uh, your brain or central nervous system allowed to go to the muscle. Right. Well, so it's it's so a protein. Okay. It's a protein that's built made, uh, made in the brain, and it facilitates the, the the somatic and motor cortex. So it actually improves motion. And so when you get a person like with uh, Parkinson's, they have very minimal amounts of brain derived neurotrophic factor. With warm ups, it actually that's a neurotrophic factor. That's ah, correct. Okay, I didn't understand. Oh, so I'm sorry. <laughs> My bad. I was talking too quickly again. Okay, hey, listen, guys, thank you ever so much for your time. I appreciate it, and uh, hopefully, our paths cross in, in the future. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you for allowing me to do this. Oh, no problem. Thanks, guys. Uh, obviously is a fantastic resource just hard to contain the uh, information coming out that, that he has I hope everybody picked up a little nugget here um, he's in my experience we've known each other for a couple of years very willing to share and and uh, correspond so he's a great resource to have I think for those of you guys that are younger coaches in here one of the I think biggest things beyond all the technical expertise and talks of scrotums and neurotrophic <laughs> factors is the passion. Right? Yeah. So I think if you take anything from this, this guy's got 30 plus years under his belt and he's still coming at this like this was the first day he's ever talked about this stuff or you know, he's in Disneyland right here talking to you guys. So <clears throat> technical expertise is one thing. The way that you get there, I think, is pursuing the field with this level of passion. So uh, thank you, Pete. We appreciate you coming in. And as, as I said, you're always welcome here to kind of sit in on our lectures, or if you ever want to do this again, we'd love to have you. Thank you, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.
Boston. Alright guys, that's it. Thanks for listening. If you like this, you can rate us, you can share this with your friends, and if you have a question, go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Anchor, anywhere you can find us. Drop us a DM and we'll try to answer it when we can. Thank you.